Welcome to another in-depth exploration of the book of Jeremiah. Written by Imray Tokic, Ph.D., LLD. Edited for audio and produced by the Ambassador Group. Exploration 5. More Woes for the Prophet. Oh Lord, you misled me, and I allowed myself to be misled. You are stronger than I am, and you overpowered me. Now I am mocked every day. Everyone laughs at me. Jeremiah chapter 20, verse 7, the New Living Translation. One thing anyone who has followed the Lord for any length of time will learn is that being a believer in Jesus and seeking to do His will do not guarantee an easy passage through life. After all, as 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 12, in that same translation affirms, Yes, and everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. This is a truth that Jeremiah was surely learning for himself. At the same time, however, what our faith can do for us in times of trial is give a broader understanding upon which we can steady ourselves amid our struggles. In other words, when unfair and unjust suffering and trials come, and no question, so many of them are unfair and unjust, we don't have to be left alone with a sense of meaninglessness and purposelessness that people who don't know the Lord often feel. We can know something of the big picture and the ultimate hope God offers us, no matter how dismal the present is. And from this knowledge and hope, we can draw strength. Jeremiah knew something of this context. Though at times he seemed to forget it and instead focused only on his woes. Godless priests and prophets. Removed as we are by more than 2,000 years chronologically from Judah, and perhaps even further removed culturally and socially, it's hard for us to understand all that was going on in the time of Jeremiah. When reading the Bible, especially the harsh warnings and threats that God uttered against the people, Many people think that the Lord is portrayed here as harsh, mean, and vindictive. This, however, is a false understanding, based only on a superficial reading of the texts. Instead, what the Old Testament reveals is what the New Testament does as well. 
God loves humanity and wants it saved, but he does not force our choice. If we want to do wrong, even despite his pleas to us, we are free to do so. We just have to remember not only the consequences, but that we were warned about them beforehand. What were some of the evils that the Lord was dealing with in Judah? What were some of the evils Jeremiah was prophesying against? Two references will help us answer these questions. The first is Jeremiah chapter 23, verses 14 and 15. But now I see that the prophets of Jerusalem are even worse. They commit adultery and love dishonesty. They encourage those who are doing evil so that no one turns away from their sins. These prophets are as wicked as the people of Sodom and Gomorrah once were. Therefore, this is what the Lord of Heaven's armies says concerning the prophets. I will feed them with bitterness and give them poison to drink. For it is because of Jerusalem's prophets that wickedness has filled this land. The second reference is Jeremiah chapter 5, verses 26 through 31. Among my people are wicked men who lie in wait for victims like a hunter hiding in a blind. They continually set traps to catch people. Like a cage filled with birds, their homes are filled with evil plots, and now they are great and rich. They are fat and sleek, and there is no limit to their wicked deeds. They refuse to provide justice to orphans and deny the rights of the poor. Should I not punish them for this, says the Lord? Should I not avenge myself against such a nation? A horrible and shocking thing has happened in this land. The prophets give false prophecies, and the priests rule with an iron hand. Worse yet, my people like it that way. But what will you do when the end comes? The litany of evils presented here is just a small sampling of what God's people had fallen into. Both the priests and prophets were godless. An incredible irony considering that the priests were to be representatives of God and the prophets to be spokesmen for him. And this is just the beginning of the problems Jeremiah confronted. The evils presented here come under a variety of types. There is the apostasy of the spiritual leaders. They also lead others to do evil, so that no one turns back from his wickedness. Jeremiah chapter 23 and verse 14 even when the Lord warns about coming judgment, the false prophets tell them that it won't come. Meanwhile, as far as they were from God, they had forgotten the admonition about taking care of the orphans and about defending the poor, as we hear in Jeremiah 
chapter 5 and verse 28. They are fat and sleek, and there is no limit to their wicked deeds. They refuse to provide justice to orphans and deny the rights of the poor. In every way, the nation had fallen from the Lord. So much of the Bible, at least among the prophetic books of the Old Testament, records the Lord seeking to call his wayward people back. That is, despite all these evils and more, he was willing to forgive them, heal them, and even restore them. But if they refused, what else could be done? Jeremiah in the Stocks The job of the prophets has always been to convey God's message, not to count how many people accept or reject it. Generally, the number of those who accept what the prophets preach at the time they are preaching it is low. For example, though we don't know how many were alive at the time of Noah, we can reasonably assume that the majority was not very receptive given the small number that got in the ark. All through sacred history, this seems to be the pattern. Jeremiah chapter 20, verses 1 through 6, reports how one priest reacted to Jeremiah's prophecies. Now Pashur, son of Immer, the priest in charge of the temple of the Lord, heard what Jeremiah was prophesying. So he arrested Jeremiah the prophet and had him whipped and put in stocks at the Benjamin gate of the Lord's temple. The next day, when Pashur finally released him, Jeremiah said, Pashur, the Lord has changed your name. From now on, you are to be called the man who lives in terror. For this is what the Lord says, I will send terror upon you and all your friends, and you will watch as they are slaughtered by the swords of the enemy. I will hand the people of Judah over to the king of Babylon. He will take them captive to Babylon or run them through with the sword. And I will let your enemies plunder Jerusalem, all the famed treasures of the city, the precious jewels and gold and silver of your kings will be carried off to Babylon. As for you, Pashur, you and all your household will go as captives to Babylon. There you will die and be buried, you and all your friends to whom you prophesied that everything would be all right. To gain a better understanding of what was going on, it's best to read just what the words were that Jeremiah had prophesied. The words that got him in trouble with such a high official. In Jeremiah chapter 19, we have some of that prophecy. God will bring evil upon this place. Jeremiah chapter 19 and verse 3. 
He will cause the people to fall by the sword. Jeremiah chapter 19 verse 7. And he will cause the Judeans to cannibalize each other. Jeremiah chapter 19 and verse 9. Though no one would have been too happy to be the focus of such a prophecy, as a leader, Pashur was especially offended. As with most people, his initial reaction was to reject the message. After all, who would want to believe something that horrible? More than that, using his position, Pashur made the mistake of punishing the messenger. He had Jeremiah beaten according to the law and locked him up in stocks. Beaten according to the law? Deuteronomy chapter 25 verses 1 through 3 describes the circumstances. Suppose two people take a dispute to court and the judges declare that one is right and the other is wrong. If the person in the wrong is sentenced to be flogged, the judge must command him to lie down and be beaten in his presence with the number of lashes appropriate to the crime. But never give more than 40 lashes. More than 40 lashes would publicly humiliate your neighbor. Though Pashur released him the next day, this painful and humiliating experience didn't stop Jeremiah from continuing to give his prophecy, this time not just against Judea, but specifically against Pashur and his own family. Before long, the fate of Pashur and his family would be a horrifying example to all who would see them in the chains of captivity. This is also the first place in the book of Jeremiah in which Babylon is mentioned as the place of exile. The chapters and even sections of the chapters are not in chronological order. Imagine hearing something like that prophesied against you. What do you think your initial reaction would be as opposed to what it should be? What should it be anyway? In Acts chapter 2 verse 37, we hear an appropriate response to truth being stated, resulting in point-blank conviction when being told impending doom. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart with remorse and anxiety. And they said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what are we to do? A fire in his bones. Jeremiah chapter 20, 
verses 4 through 6. In the previous section, we heard these verses read from the New Living Translation. Now let's listen to them in the Amplified Bible. Again, Jeremiah chapter 20, verses 4 through 6 say, For thus says the Lord, Behold, I will make you a terror to yourself and to all your friends. They will fall by the sword of their enemies while you look on. And I will give all Judah into the hand of the king of Babylon. He will carry them away to Babylon as captives and will slaughter them with the sword. Moreover, I will hand over all the riches of this city, all the result of its labor, all its precious things, even all the treasures of the kings of Judah, I will hand over to their enemies, and they will plunder them, and take them away and carry them to Babylon. And you, Pashur, and all who live in your house will go into captivity. You will go to Babylon, and there you will die and be buried, you and all your friends to whom you have falsely prophesied. Jeremiah's harsh words to Pashur and the nations weren't his own. They were not uttered out of his anger at having been locked in the stocks for a day. They were the Lord's words to him for the people. What comes after, though, comes directly from Jeremiah's own heart, written down under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. It is the heartfelt cry of a human being who simply doesn't like the situation he is in and is crying out about it. Let's listen to Jeremiah chapter 20, verses 7 through 14. What is Jeremiah saying? What does this teach us about his humanity and our own humanity as well? Jeremiah chapter 20, verses 7 through 14. Jeremiah said, O Lord, you have persuaded me and I was deceived. You are stronger than I and you have prevailed. I am a laughingstock all day long. Everyone mocks me. For whenever I speak, I must shout out. I shout violence and destruction because the word of the Lord has become to me a reprimand and a mockery and has brought me insult all day long. If I say, I will not remember him or speak his name anymore, then my heart becomes a burning fire shut up in my bones and I'm weary of enduring and holding it in. I cannot endure it, nor contain it any longer. For I have heard the whispering and defaming words of many, terror on every side. Denounce him, let us denounce him. All my familiar and trusted friends, those who are watching for my fall, say, perhaps he will be persuaded and deceived, then we will overcome him and take our revenge on him. But the Lord is with me as a dread champion, one to be greatly feared. Therefore, my persecutors will stumble and not overcome me. 
they will be completely shamed, for they have not acted wisely and have failed in their schemes. Their eternal dishonor will never be forgotten. But, O Lord of hosts, you who examine the righteous, who see the heart and the mind, let me see your vengeance on them. For to you I have committed my cause. Sing to the Lord. Praise the Lord. For he has rescued the life of the needy one from the hand of evildoers. Cursed be the day on which I was born. Do not bless the day on which my mother gave birth to me. His words at first seem almost blasphemous. One wonders, though, why he would say that the Lord had deceived him when, right from the start, the Lord had warned him that he was going to face fierce opposition. Nevertheless, he complains, Whenever I speak, all I am speaking is violence and destruction. No wonder people are against me. At the same time, what is the significance when he says in Jeremiah 20 verse 9, If I say I will not remember him or speak his name any more, then my heart becomes a burning fire shut up in my bones, and I am weary of enduring and holding it in. I cannot endure it nor contain it any longer. Jeremiah would have liked to have given up and stopped preaching, but God's word was like a fire in his heart and a fire in his bones. What a powerful metaphor of someone who knew his calling and despite the personal pain was going to follow that calling no matter what. We find similar thoughts written in Amos chapter 3 verses 8 and 1 Corinthians chapter 9 and verse 16. Amos chapter 3 and verse 8. The lion has roared, who will not fear? The Lord God has spoken to the prophets, who can but prophesy? 1 Corinthians chapter 9 and verse 16. For if I merely preach the gospel, I have nothing to boast about. For I am compelled, that is, absolutely obligated to do it. Woe to me if I do not preach the good news of salvation. All through these verses, we see the struggle Jeremiah faces. We can see the great controversy raging both outside and inside him. One minute, he's praising God for rescuing the needy from the wicked. The next, as we will hear in our next section, he's cursing the day he was born. Why is it so important, especially in terrible circumstances, to praise the Lord and to dwell upon all the ways that he has revealed his love to us?
cursed be the day. Even the harshest critics of the Bible would have to concede a major point. The Bible does not gloss over human foibles and weaknesses. With the exception of the spotless and sinless Son of God, few Bible characters whose lives are presented in any detail in the Bible come away without their weaknesses and faults exposed. This goes even for the prophets. As stated before, the God these prophets served is perfect. The prophets who served him were not. They, like the rest of us, were sinners in need of the righteousness of Christ to be credited to them by faith. Let's hear what Romans chapter 3, verse 22 says. We are made right with God by placing our faith in Jesus Christ. And this is true for everyone who believes, no matter who we are. From Noah to Peter and everyone in between, all were sin-damaged creatures whose only hope was, as Ellen G. White wrote in her small book, Faith and Works, on page 106, to go before the Lord and say, I have no merit or goodness whereby I may claim salvation, but I present before God the all-atoning blood of the spotless Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. This is my only plea. The name of Jesus gives me access to the Father. His ear, his heart is open to my faintest pleading, and he supplies my deepest necessities. We will now hear Jeremiah chapter 20, verses 14 through 18. What does this passage tell you about the prophet's state of mind concerning his own personal situation. I cursed the day I was born. May no one celebrate the day of my birth. I cursed the messenger who told my father, Good news, you have a son. Let him be destroyed like the cities of old that the Lord overthrew without mercy. Terrify him all day long with battle shouts because he did not kill me at birth. Oh, that I had died in my mother's womb, that her body had been my grave. Why was I ever born? My entire life has been filled with trouble, sorrow, and shame. Jeremiah's words in these verses, of course, remind us of Job's, whose situation was much worse than Jeremiah's. Let's compare Job chapter 3. Job's first speech in the New Living Translation. At last, Job spoke, and he cursed the day of his birth. He said, Let the day of my birth be erased, and the night I was conceived. Let that day be turned to darkness. Let it be lost even to God on high, 
and let no light shine on it. Let the darkness and utter gloom claim that day for its own. Let a black cloud overshadow it, and let the darkness terrify it. Let that night be blotted off the calendar, never again to be counted among the days of the year, never again to appear among the months. Let that night be childless. Let it have no joy. Let those who are expert at cursing, whose cursing could rouse Leviathan, curse that day. Let its morning stars remain dark. Let it hope for light, but in vain. May it never see the morning light. Curse that day for failing to shut my mother's womb, for letting me be born to see all the trouble. Why wasn't I born dead? Why didn't I die as I came from the womb? Why was I laid on my mother's lap? Why did she nurse me at her breast? Had I died at birth, I would now be at peace. I would be asleep and at rest. I would rest with the world's kings and prime ministers whose great buildings now lie in ruins. I would rest with princes, rich in gold, whose palaces were filled with silver. Why wasn't I buried like a stillborn child, like a baby who never lives to see the light? For in death, the wicked cause no trouble, and the weary are at rest. Even captives are at ease in death, with no guards to curse them. Rich and poor are both there, and the slave is free from his master. Oh, why give light to those in misery, and life to those who are bitter? They long for death, and it won't come. They search for death more eagerly than for hidden treasure. They are filled with joy when they finally die, and rejoice when they find the grave. Why is life given to those with no future? Those God has surrounded with difficulties. I cannot eat for sighing. My groans pour out like water. What I always feared has happened to me. What I dreaded has come true. I have no peace, no quietness. I have no rest. Only trouble comes. Though Jeremiah had the assurance that he was doing God's will and the assurance that the Lord was with him, at this point, the pain of his present situation consumed him. Whatever his intellectual understanding of what the truth was, for now it was overshadowed by his own sorrows. At times, many people might find themselves in a similar situation. They might intellectually know all the promises of God, but they are so overwhelmed by sorrow and pain that these promises are pushed into the background and all they can focus on is their immediate suffering. 
This is an understandable reaction. It doesn't mean it's a correct one, but it is understandable. What we realize here again is the humanity of Jeremiah, which is similar to the humanity of us all. Have you ever felt the way Jeremiah did in these verses? If so, what did you learn from that experience that could help you better cope the next time you feel that way? Plans Against the Prophet Let's listen to Jeremiah chapter 18, verses 1 through 10. Two questions to answer. What important principles about prophetic interpretation do you hear? And what spiritual principles do you hear? Jeremiah chapter 18, verses 1 through 10 the potter, and the clay. The Lord gave another message to Jeremiah. He said, Go down to the potter's shop, and I will speak to you there. So I did as he told me, and found the potter working at his wheel. But the jar he was making did not turn out as he had hoped. So he crushed it into a lump of clay again and started over. Then the Lord gave me this message, O Israel, can I not do to you as this potter has done to his clay? As the clay is in the potter's hand, so are you in my hand. If I announce that a certain nation or kingdom is to be uprooted, torn down and destroyed, but then that nation renounces its evil ways, I will not destroy it as I had planned. And if I announce that I will plant and build up a certain nation or kingdom, but then that nation turns to evil and refuses to obey me, I will not bless it as I said I would. Despite all the evil, the Lord was willing to give people a chance to repent. Hence, In these verses also we see the grace of God being offered to those who will accept it. Even at that point, they still had time to turn around despite all that they had done. In these verses too, we can see the conditionality of many prophecies. God says that he will do something which is often to bring punishment. But if the people repent, he will not do what he said he would do. What he will do is conditional, depending upon how the people respond. Why would God do anything else? He would not admonish the people to turn from their evil ways and then still bring punishment upon them. If they repented, and turned from their evil ways. In such cases, he won't punish. 
and he explicitly says so in these texts. Let's consider Jeremiah chapter 18, verses 18 through 23, and answer these two questions related to Jeremiah. What reasons do the people believe they have for what they want to do to Jeremiah? What is Jeremiah's very human response? Then the people said, Come on, let's plot a way to stop Jeremiah. We have plenty of priests and wise men and prophets. We don't need him to teach the word and give us advice and prophecies. Let's spread rumors about him and ignore what he says. Lord, hear me and help me. Listen to what my enemies are saying. Should they repay evil for good? They have dug a pit to kill me, though I pleaded for them and tried to protect them from your anger. So let their children starve. Let them die by the sword. Let their wives become childless widows. Let their old men die in a plague and let their young men be killed in battle. Let screaming be heard from their homes as warriors come suddenly upon them, for they have dug a pit for me and have hidden traps along my path. Lord, you know all about their murderous plots against me. Don't forgive their crimes and blot out their sins. Let them die before you. Deal with them in your anger. How utterly frustrated Jeremiah must have felt to be condemned by people who attacked him because, they said, they wanted to save the teaching of the law, the counsels of the wise, and the word from the prophets. How self-destructive the heart really can be. What lessons can you learn about how careful one needs to be in doing things in the name of the Lord? Let's continue exploring. Jeremiah chapter 18, verses 11 through 17, New Living Translation. Therefore, Jeremiah, go and warn all Judah and Jerusalem. Say to them, this is what the Lord says. I am planning disaster for you instead of good. So turn from your evil ways, each of you, and do what is right. But the people replied, Don't waste your breath. We will continue to live as we want to, stubbornly following our own evil desires. So this is what the Lord says. Has anyone ever heard of such a thing? 
even among the pagan nations. My virgin daughter Israel has done something terrible. Does the snow ever disappear from the mountaintops of Lebanon? Do the cold streams flowing from those distant mountains ever run dry? But my people are not so reliable, for they have deserted me. They burn incense to worthless idols. They have stumbled off the ancient highways and walk in muddy paths. Therefore, their land will become desolate, a monument to their stupidity. All who pass by will be astonished and will shake their heads in amazement. I will scatter my people before their enemies as the east wind scatters dust. And in all their trouble, I will turn my back on them and refuse to notice their distress. In Jeremiah chapter 18, verses 11 through 17, we find the Lord telling his people to stop doing the things that they are doing. Verse 11 says, So turn from your evil ways, each one of you, and reform your ways and your actions. The New International Version. Verse 12 basically has the Lord saying that he already knows they won't listen to his warnings and please, but that they will continue to walk in the stubbornness of their evil hearts. Verse 12. The New International Version. The Lord then tells what he will do because of their disobedience. This is one of many places in the Bible which show that God's foreknowledge of our free choices in no way infringes upon those free choices. What's clear is that the Lord knew exactly what their free choices would be even before they made them. This crucial truth is also seen, for instance, in Deuteronomy chapter 31, verses 16 through 21, which say, The Lord said to Moses, You are about to die and join your ancestors. After you are gone, these people will begin to worship foreign gods, the gods of the land where they are going. They will abandon me and break my covenant that I have made with them. Then my anger will blaze forth against them. I will abandon them, hiding my face from them, and they will be devoured. Terrible trouble will come down on them, and on that day they will say, These disasters have come down on us because God is no longer among us. At that time, I will hide my face from them on account of all the evil they commit by worshiping other gods. So write down the words of this song and teach it to the people of Israel. Help them learn it so it may serve as a witness for me against them. For I will bring them into the land I swore to give their ancestors, a land flowing with milk and honey, there they will become prosperous, eat all the food they want, and become fat. But they will begin to worship other gods. They will despise me and break my covenant. 
And when great disasters come down on them, this song will stand as evidence against them, for it will never be forgotten by their descendants. I know the intentions of these people. Even now, before they have entered the land, I swore to give them. Even before the children of Israel enter the promised land, the Lord tells Moses that he knows they will turn to other gods and worship them. Deuteronomy chapter 31 and verse 20 in the NIV version of the Bible. Here is more evidence that God's foreknowledge of our choices does not impinge on the freedom we have to make those choices. Here are some points to ponder and questions to consider. Who hasn't heard people say that they were doing such and such because the Lord told them to? With what can you respond to someone who says that? Though there's no question that God will lead us, in what ways can you test these leadings to make sure they really are of the Lord? Jeremiah said that the word of the Lord was like a fire in his bones. How can you keep that fire burning within you? What have you discovered in the verses you heard in this exploration that help you to understand what's involved in revival and reformation? After all, wasn't that what the Lord was looking to do in his people? For example, why is a sense of your own sinfulness so important for revival? With this in mind, why must the cross and the hope it offers be central to revival as well? AmbassadorGroup.org Thank you for exploring with us. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's Word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.